For those of you wondering, <clears throat> Tom Harrison did not magically become better looking over a week. <clears throat> I'm not Tom. <laughs> For some of you, that's either a great joy or a fabulous disappointment. So we'll try and make the best of what we can do. My name's Chad. I'm one of the elders here at North Glencoe. And uh, a few weeks ago, Tom had let me know that he was going to be out of town. He's doing a wedding up in North Carolina this week. And um, he asked me to speak. And we decided that uh, this summer, our summer series from the Old Testament would be the book of 1 Samuel. So today, I'm going to get to introduce the book of 1 Samuel to you. This is my first go around at this, so if you make a mistake, I won't get on to you. If, you. if I make a mistake, you don't get on to me. Everything should be fine. Samuel is a narrative. And that means it's a story. The word narrative, um, I, I teach fourth grade for a living, so if you suddenly feel like you're about 10 years old, I am talking to you like you're a 10-year-old because that's what I do for a living. But the story, of, the story we find in Samuel is a narrative. The word narrator is where we, we get that. So Samuel is writing this, and it's about the beginning of his life. And I'm so going to fall today. This is not going to be good. I, I'm not gonna, I, I don't want to be tied over there. I want to try and move around a little bit. In fact, I'm really trying to look, look and make eye contact with you. I'm going to tell you a little secret. I usually look at the line that runs around the top of the doors, and that's how I can make it through because it kind of looks like I'm looking at you, but I'm looking down. Man, y'all are good looking. I just want just to let you know. But we find Samuel starting at the end of the time of Judges. Now, this begins in Israel with the death of Joshua and the elders that worked with him. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it reads, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Well, that's scary. A generation rising up that doesn't know God, doesn't know the work that he's done for Israel. And we see the fruit of their lives of not knowing God all the way through the book of Judges. My high schoolers know this because we've been in Judges in Sunday school for a while. And the book of Judges works in a cycle. The children of Israel do what's right in their eyes. God uses a people group that lives in the land of Canaan, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the, the Philistines, the Midianites. He uses them to afflict the children of Israel. They call out to God, God raises up a judge. And if you're sitting there wondering, I don't know what he's talking about with judges. Well, the judges, some of their names were Samson. Samson was a judge. Gideon was a judge. There were lady judges. There was Deborah at the beginning of the book. And some of the lady judges and judges, don't, don't, don't miscount them because they'll put a tent peg through your head and they won't think two shakes about it. They're going to take care of business. And God uses these judges to restore Israel. And as long as the judge is alive, the children of Israel follow God. But as soon as the judge dies, they go back, right back to their ways. If you read the book of Judges, by the time you get through, it's just 21 chapters, it's not all that long, but by the time you get through with it, you're kind of down. You're kind of tired. You're kind of worn out, and you're supposed to be because that's what life, not knowing God, does to you. It wears you out. And Judges is a perfect example of it. The book of Judges ends with this verse. In chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we find Samuel being raised up as Samuel begins, and Samuel will serve as the last judge of Israel. These are dark, dark times. But I hope today... 
that we see that God is faithful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we come before you today. And God, we ask today that your name be glorified in this room. That your, that your son Jesus be lifted high. That you would draw men to him. God, that we would hear of your faithfulness in this book. That we would see it in our own lives and then, God, that we would not rest until we tell someone else about it. Holy Spirit, come today and be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So Samuel begins. And it says, There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuk, an Ephrathite. And that just means that he lived around Bethlehem of Judea. Elkanah was a Levite. You can find his entire family tree in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And Elkanah was a Kohathite in the Levite tribe. He was of, of that family. And it was the most honorable family in this tribe. So Elkanah had been raised up knowing. You can tell by the way he lives his life. Now we can also tell from what we find out about Elkanah here that he was a sinful man. Because it says that he had two wives. And the name of the one was Hannah, and the other one was Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. I had the high honor yesterday. I mean, I'm getting like the whole preacher experience this weekend. I got to perform a wedding yesterday, and it was my brother's wedding yesterday. And we talked yesterday in that, in that ceremony, we talked about what God says in Genesis and what Jesus echoes in Matthew about the way God designed marriage. He said that a man shall leave his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we see God in the Old Testament allow polygamy. And don't take his allowance as him condoning it or saying that's the way it should be. Because today, we are seeing marriage walked all over, and God's allowing that. And he does it out of the hardness of men's hearts. As I was reading and studying for this today, some, some Jewish texts, some, some traditions state that a man would have married a woman and he would have tried to conceive children with her for at least 10 years before he married someone else. So the text is silent on this. So, you know, I'm not going to like stand on it. This isn't a hill I'm willing to die on. But it's a safe bet to say that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife. So she knows the frustration of trying to bear children for 10 years and she doesn't. And then he marries Penina, and she does bear children. Let's continue on. Now, this man used to go up year by year from the city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Now, something cool happens here. And I get excited. My kids at school, like my fourth graders that leave me, always tell the third graders that are coming up, he's going to be loud. And when I get loud, please don't think that I'm angry or that I'm just some Baptist preacher up here all dressed up hollering at you. I'm excited about it. What happens here is we see God referred to for the first time in his scriptures as the Lord of hosts. And I don't want us to miss this. Now, I've grown up around God's word. And I've sang songs, and that's included that term, Lord of hosts. And when I hear that word, host, well, I, I think about having people over to my house. I'm their host. Or when I go to a restaurant, the little girl that I give the, my name to and, and tell her how many are, are with me in the party and how long is it going to be before I can get a seat. She's the hostess. But that's not what this means. If you look at the Lord of hosts in Hebrew, 
the Lord. Anytime you see Lord in all capital letters in your Bible, that's God's proper name. It's Yahweh. And of hosts in Hebrew is Sabaoth. Yahweh Sabaoth. And Sabaoth means armies. It means any organization of things because it's not just earthly armies, it's heavenly armies. Anything that's organized for war, he's the Lord of. And so I find that inside these commentaries, and commentaries are great, and dictionaries are great, and biblical encyclopedias are awesome. I, I used a ton of those. But when I need to understand something about God's word, then I go to God's word. Because anytime we step out from this, we have a problem. We wind up doing just what we heard in the book of Judges. Men did what was right in their own eyes. And that's not where we want to be. We want to be in this. So I went and I looked. And Lord of hosts is used about 285 times in the Old Testament. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, loves the name Lord of hosts. And he used it quite often. And I wanted to share some of those with you. Now, these aren't going to pop up up here. I'm going to go through them kind of quick. It said Rewind started next week. I'm going to be in Tom's office this evening at 5. If you want to know more about this, this is kind of where we're going to camp out tonight. But I'll be there. Uh, and, and it works like this. I just want to give you a few of these. In Isaiah 5, verse 16, Isaiah writes, But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Exalted in justice, holy in righteousness. In 1313, he describes his wrath. And he says, therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his anger. And that when they talk about wrath and anger in there, the Hebrew word that they use goes with the, it goes with the nostrils. It's the nostrils flaring. Like my kids can tell when my nose, I don't know if you've ever done that, parents. You, you kind of get that going along with them. They can tell, oh, it's, it's about to get real where we are. Charlie, let's batten down the hatches. It's going to get tough here for a second. Well, that's the kind of terminology they're using for God's wrath here. In 31.4, God says this. He says he, he compares himself to a lion. And he says, no, 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 not a lion. A young lion growling over its prey. I'm so on to that prey that if shepherds come out and try and run me off, I'm not going anywhere. He says, like that, the Lord of hosts will come down and fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. The Lord is a warrior. When, the, when King Hezekiah is faced with, with this army coming at him, he goes to God and he prays to him as the Lord of hosts. And he says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of all the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Martin Luther wrote in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Would we in our own strength confide? Our fighting would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. We don't sing that one very much. Chris Tomlin, who we do sing a lot of, he wrote about the God of angel armies. He said, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. 
the one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The best description of the Lord of hosts, Isaiah wrote down from the mouth of God himself. And he says this in Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Anybody else saying that is bragging. God saying these things about himself is truth. And we can take it to the bank. So Elkanah and his family go year after year to worship at the house of God, the the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Let's pick up the story. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. I want you to notice in this that even though Hannah seems like she's in a tight spot, God's provision never leaves her. A couple of weeks ago, we were in a service and we sang, the choir sang this song called I Am Not Alone. And in that song, it quotes Isaiah 42, 3, where it says, Though I walk through deep waters, it's not going to overtake me. Though though there's fire, I'm not going to be burned. Why? Because he's not going to leave me. That doesn't mean that the water goes away. It means that he provides for you as you go through. And Hannah's walking in that. Twice in this text it says... That the Lord closed her womb. And notice the reactions. Elkanah, he loves her in spite of that. Even though the Lord has closed her womb, he loves her. He provides for her. Her rival, Penina, provokes her. Notice those responses. And so it went on year by year. You know, it's... um, Here in a minute, Elkanah's going to do a horrible, horrible job of trying to comfort his wife. And he's going to talk about ten sons. And it's a pretty safe bet to think that he said ten sons because Penina had bore him ten sons. Not to mention the daughters that are listed in the text. So year by year, as often as they went up to the house of the Lord, she, that's Penina, used to provoke her, that's Hannah, Therefore, I love it that Samuel put a therefore in here for us. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? The answer to that is no. Men, if you ever feel the need to comfort your wife in that way, stop and repeat after me. You'll save yourself a whole lot of trouble. Just look at her and say, I'm so glad 
I found you. And leave it at that. And walk away. Amen. That's right. We get ourselves in a whole lot of trouble by what we think is the right thing to say sometimes. But I want you to look at why Hannah is sad. It doesn't say, therefore, she was sad because she wasn't bearing children. She's sad because of the way her rival is provoking her. Hannah's going to do something here in a minute that, will, that, that, that I use, that used to stand on this. I believe Hannah knows why she's not having kids. The Hebrew mind would have known that there are primary causes and secondary causes. And the primary cause is always God. And I believe Hannah would have known this. But it's what her rival is doing to her that's tearing her up. Let's see what happens. In verse 9, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the afflictions of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Don't get caught up in the fact that Hannah makes a vow. So many people would look at this and they would go, well, she made a vow. I'm not having a kids. Evidently, I need to make God a vow. I need a new job. Evidently, I need to vow something to God. God doesn't want that. What God wants from us is where Hannah starts off. She says, oh, Lord of hosts. Hannah would have known the name Yahweh Jireh, her God or provider. She doesn't pray to him that way. She would have known Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. But she doesn't pray to him like that. She comes to him and she gets down on her knees and she recognizes that this is the Lord of hosts, the God of heaven's armies. And she cries out to him because she knows she's in a fight with her rival and she can't do anything about it. She goes to the one who can She would have known all those other names, but she calls out to the Lord of hosts. I'm here to submit to you. Hannah didn't know him, but Hannah's living out what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 6 and 7. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, why? Why are we grieved by various trials, Peter? Let me understand this. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So she comes to God in total submission Hannah would have known the story of Esau and Jacob. The Lord of hosts in Esau and Jacob, he looks at them before they're born, and he says, you know what? There's twins in there. The older one is going to serve the younger one. Before they were born, he could say, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. I don't understand that, God. Why? Well, because he is the Lord of hosts. And when he says something, it's not that he's bragging. When he talks about himself, he's not bragging. He's telling truth. He made it all. 
It's his anyway. And Hannah comes to him in that attitude of submission. Let's look what happens. Verse 12. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman and Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered. I want you to look at Eli's reaction. Eli's speaking from his ignorance. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Eli's not expecting this to be going on. And Eli comes up to her and he speaks out of his ignorance. And I'm pretty sure he probably would have cut her pretty deep there. God help us because there are plenty of times in any leadership that I stand in, I speak out of my ignorance. God help me that we don't do that. But we will. And look at Hannah's response. She says, no, my Lord. If Hannah had had a smartphone, I wonder if she would have pulled it out and done a Facebook rant right there. You would not believe this old man at church today. I'm praying and he tells me I'm drunk. I cannot believe that. Comment, girl, where do you go to church at? And it just goes on and on. And that's what I thought about when I read that right there. But then God brought it deeper for me because at my house, I've got this old green UAB hat. And I won't wear it anymore because my sin tendency when someone speaks out of ignorance to me is to blow up. Not out of passion, but out of anger. And I've taken that hat and I've thrown it at them plenty of times because it ticks me off. God help me because I need to be more like Hannah where she trusts the Lord of hosts enough that she can look at Eli and say, No, my Lord. Don't take me. Don't take me as anything that I am. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. You're sitting in here today, and either you know what it feels like to be wrapped up in the unexplainable fear that anxiety causes, or you don't. Hannah wasn't sinning with anxiety, and neither are you. The reason she wasn't sinning is because she takes that anxiety and she pours it out to the Lord of hosts, to the one who can do something about it. As I watch people that I know and love just just struggle with this anxiety, the Lord of hosts is who I go to and I pray for them. Not because they're sinning, because they're not. They need to come to him too. And sometimes it takes more than once. Don't let the enemy whisper in your ear. Don't let him tell tell you that you're sinning through this anxiety. You take it to your king and you lay it before him. And if it crops back up again, you do the same thing and he will be faithful. He is faithful in your darkest hour. Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. How awesome is that? 
What's awesome, a couple of things here. She walks away from this. She doesn't have a kid yet. I don't quite know if Panina has shut her mouth. But she's taking it to God and she goes and she sits down and she eats. And she's no longer sad. And the next thing that happens is pretty cool because it kind of gives me some hope. Because Eli looks at her and he gives her a blessing. You see, Eli... Eli's running a bad temple. Eli's running a bad home. Eli's got two sons who are interrupting people's worship and coming and saying, I want part of that offering. You'll either give it to me now or I'll take it by force. They're taking and they're holding God's worship in contempt. And God's letting it go on. Can I just tell you that just because God doesn't balance the books on Thursday doesn't mean that he's not going to balance the books? We'll find out as we continue on in Samuel what God does with Eli. But here, God uses this sin-filled man to confer a blessing on this godly woman. And they rose early in the morning, and they worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah, And Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The Lord is faithful during dark times. Throughout the book of Judges, we read Judges, and and as you read it, you get tired. It's, It's scary. Some of it is like criminal minds on steroids. He watches criminal minds. Okay, but... Throughout the book of Judges, right after Judges, before we get into Samuel, there's this little book, Ruth. And Ruth takes place during Judges. It should really kind of be like right there in the middle, if you're looking at it in time order. And in Ruth, the Lord of hosts uses a cursed Moabite woman and a man named Boaz, whose mom was a prostitute named Rahab. And Boaz marries Ruth. And she and and Boaz have a son and they name him Obed. And Obed has a son. He calls him Jesse. And Jesse has a son, a bunch of sons. And one of them is this little runny kid, kind of ruddy looking. We'll read about him. His name is David. And this young man who we see born out of a woman's submission to her king is going to anoint David as the king of Israel. When you hear someone stand up here and say that God is faithful, understand this. He may not take away the pain that you're feeling right now. Paul had this pain in his side and he asked God to take it away three times and God said no. Why? Because my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So you may be sitting here today and you may have a pain in your life that you, if we could hear about it right now, we would all just break down. And there's not enough tissue up here. So I can't tell you that God will take it away. This church won't take it away. We may not even make it better. Don't look to us. Hannah wasn't even really looking at Eli. It was great that Eli blessed her. But Hannah was looking to her king. So he may not take it away, but just like he said in 1 Peter, he will make it worthwhile. 
That pain that you're feeling, that trial that you're going through, it's there to equip you. And it's there so that you turn around and you tell someone else about the faithfulness of God. That's where Israel messed up in the book of Judges. They didn't tell anybody. Our kids over here and over here and the ones that are out here, they should hear us all the time. First off, talking about the stories in this book and then talking about the stories in our lives where it shows the faithfulness of God. They should know that God is faithful in our dark times. That God was faithful to this little bitty church that started over on Rabbit Town Road. He brought that little bitty church up here and we went through some mess for a while. God was faithful. The doors should be closed. These lights shouldn't have enough money to turn them on. But God shows himself faithful. They should hear that from us. So we can't take that pain away. I don't know if we want to. I, I, read, a, I read a Facebook post from a guy who lost his legs in Afghanistan. And he actually said, I would love to thank the man that did this to me. Because of the way God has worked in my life since then. And the number of people that have seen how great God is because of what he's done in my life. I sat in that old sanctuary in 1994 on Rabbit Town Road, a lost ball in high weeds. I shouldn't be here today. But God was faithful. His faithfulness doesn't begin at Hannah and it doesn't end at David. He is faithful. So as we're winding things down, you may need to come down here today. And you may need to do business with the Lord of hosts. You may need to come down here and call out to him. There will be people down here that would love to pray with you. You may be sitting in here and you've been visiting for a while. And today you've decided, hey, I, I, this is where we, we need to be. We need you here to serve and to work. But most of all, to pray. That's the engine that drives this church. And if we let that down, if we forsake that, God will teach us a lesson. He's done it before. He'll do it again. We need to be grabbing hold of the horns of the altar and calling out to the Lord of hosts that we might serve him better. And we need you here to do that. Maybe you're sitting in this room today, and bless you, you don't know this King of Kings. You don't know this Lord of hosts. Well, let me tell you, the same Lord of hosts that we read about in Revelation who's going to come back on a white horse wearing robes dipped in blood with a name written on his thigh and a sword in his hand is the same one who was born a baby in a manger in Bethlehem who lived a life and died on a cross for your sin so that you might be saved to the glory of his name, not your own. Maybe you need to come down and do business with him that way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, Lord of hosts, we come to you today, God. Father, thank you that you saw fit to have this story recorded in your scripture. God, thank you that we see this woman who is here and who is, who is dealing with anxiety and vexation and how she pours it out to you. Oh God, help us do that. 
God, thank you for the example that you give us in Eli. God, that we might serve you better than he. God, that we might come to you and wrap our arms around you and God, confess our sin and point out that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one who is worthy of glory. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness in our darkest hour. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.